The Money Show. Business Unusual with Colin Cullis. Business Unusual is brought to you by Workforce Staffing. Is your business simply surviving or are you thriving with Workforce Staffing's agile solutions? Visit workforcestaffing.co.za to learn more. Colin Cullis, this is all about staffing. It's all about businesses. It's all about office space. I see the Financial Mail this week is um, expressing concern about the state of office space in South Africa, talking about the huge vacancy rates and the reluctance of many people to go back to the office to do a full day's work. Um, And I suppose it comes down to the way in which companies are able to really think about I don't know, productivity is probably the best measure into the future. It is, Bruce. And I suppose uh, the occasions in the past that we talked about it, one was because we had to, there was a pandemic, you know, you had to make do. Uh, And then the pendulum sort of swings to say, brilliant, everybody can do remote work. Isn't that amazing? Uh, Then it sort of becomes a little bit too much of a problem. And people start saying, well, I'm not sure we're getting everything done. And people aren't necessarily that happy and don't necessarily have the best environments to do that. Pendulum swings back the other way and people say, right, everybody come back to work and, you know, rumbles and not everybody's necessarily happy with that. So this is sort of the bit that starts saying, how do you how do you find the best between the two? And it appears to be that there is something in the the notion of measuring the progress rather than the activity. Uh, and, you know, if, if, if all our work was in the office, well, then that's the only thing you measure. Then I suppose the activity based management is is more of a thing. And this is what's beginning to challenge us. Uh, and in some respects, maybe it's, it's it's fair to say at the beginning that most work and still most work uh, does still fall within, you know, the, the absolutely can't be done remotely. If you're manufacturing, if you're in agriculture, mining, and I'll even include education here. Uh, you shouldn't be doing that remotely. That is not where it is optimized. It was it was created. Companies were created to concentrate people into a single space because that's where they're getting the most effective and efficient at producing um, things. And it's maybe an important thing to say. It's it's things. But the shift that we've had, the the, the growth in new kinds of industries are, are service-related or that they rely on creativity or something in the digital production process that allows those products to be built. That now is less dependent on you being in a specific space rather than you having access to tools, usually digital tools, uh, that allows you to produce your work, uh, communicate, and check in and do all, all of those sort of things. So despite people talking about this shift and that remote work would be a thing, it was all quite academic and you know nobody was actively looking to pursue it in any big way. In fact, when we did last uh, chat about this, IBM had decided that its experiment of allowing people to work remotely would end. They want everybody to come back to the offices. They didn't think it worked so well for them. This was before the pandemic, though. And so potentially, again, how they were measuring and what they were defining as what kind of work needed to be done might have been the issue. Um, and so when this uh, the forced sort of pandemic stuff happened, we had either companies that weren't prepared for it, and so I don't think they got great results, or they had managers that were still very much focused on, mm, do I trust the staff? I'm going to be checking on them all the time to see what they're doing. Or people's own uh, home situations, you know, the physical locations where they would be working from remotely, were not conducive for them to be able to do that. Uh, and, and some of the studies that I was looking at actually spoke quite a lot about um, how productive and effective you are at work is, is probably going to be more down to how well you spend your time and how much you enjoy your time when you're not working than trying to measure the things that you're doing when you are at work. And again, this is one of those things where I think, uh, you know, read a study, it, it all makes sense. When you reflect on it yourself, it gets a little tricky. So I thought I'd try and come up with this as a, a as a way for us to to test it on ourselves. Um, the Springboks lost on the weekend. If somebody told you they spent 40 hours of training, every team member seriously committed to doing all that stuff, would you say, oh, well, then no problem, they lost. 
Had they won and somebody told you, yeah, they spent the whole week playing golf, they didn't do a, a thing on the field, would that have changed anything? I mean, what would we you take we, if you we, told we only, we only care if they win or lose. And no matter what they've done, if they lose, it's inexcusable. And if they, you know, if they win after a week of playing golf, it just makes them even better. It makes them even you know, brilliant. Look at them. They don't even need to practice. I, I would feel the same way. And, and when I think about it, I think, wow, then I'm outcomes-based when it's the outcome I want. And exactly. I'm activity-based when it's not the outcome I want. <laughs> and that's terrible. That's not how you it do is. these things because invariably you, you focus on the activity, which is not going to get you the result, which means you're just going to keep focusing on the activity and it becomes a, a horrible down, downward spiral. So this is this notion of you know measuring uh, the value of time on task versus the outcome. Time on task is easy to measure. You can count how many meetings people arrange and attended and how many emails they sent and received. But it's hard to measure those outcomes, particularly when you know most work happens in groups. It's hard to know, did this guy do all the work or did they share it or, you know, doesn't matter. He didn't, he wasn't required to do something, therefore he, he got a buy, didn't have to worry about that. Um, and there's a story, it might, it might be just more of an anecdote than an actual story because I'm not trying to find it. Where did I read this thing? I couldn't find the source, but it might be useful just to illustrate it here anyway. And it's a story of a retailer who was starting to get uh, some complaints uh, from customers are saying, wow, the queues here are quite long. Can't you get some more staff? Well, that is something they could do, uh, but getting more staff obviously comes with a cost and the company would uh, uh, try and rather find a way of speeding up the queues rather than you know having to employ more people. So they asked the uh, staff to say, odds are they're not running at full tilt. You know, they're probably just there doing it as a job. So, so get them to go a little faster. They gave them a particular measurement metric to say, how many items can you get through those tills in a given shift? So now that the staff had a very clear objective to meet, they started optimizing for it. And the queues got shorter. The manager initially very happy. He had, uh, he had found the success. Only to be told from the inventory guys, listen, shrinkage is up. What's going on? And as it turns out, this wasn't slacker staff. This was substandard or ineffective scanners. The staff typically had to scan, you know, that classic beep, 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 multiple times to get the thing scanned or, or put it in manually. And now because they were being held specifically to the, the time-based tasks to say, get those items through there, they were simply putting it in the bag and not, not scanning it again, giving it away in effect um, to get the cues done. Now, you can kind of understand how that could happen. And you kind of understand that when you're looking at a, a, a problem like that, people will tend to some people tend to think the problem must be the people as opposed to maybe it's a setup in the store. Maybe it's the, mm -hmm. you know, the time of day, the width of the aisles, simply how many people I have or something to do with the technology that's, that's used for scanning it. They don't tend to think, obviously, it, it wouldn't necessarily uh, be the people. And so this is, I think, currently where people have had issues saying uh, you must come back to the office because you guys have, been, have not been good. It had less to do with them actually not being good, but how clear was the company about what it was they were supposed to do? And I'm kind of impressed if you do go online and have a look, there's quite a lot of stuff that is available now, and I'll include it online, uh, for people to be able to improve uh, what they and their teams can do and, and improving what, what they're looking after. And there's a very nice line that I suppose could be used with these sorts of metrics uh, that says, not everything that counts can be counted, and not everything that can be counted counts. Which again, it's a lovely little thing to go to say, ah, because I have a metric, you know, the classic line, if, if, it, can't be measured, if it can't be measured, it can't be managed. So, well, what, what happens with things that you can't measure? Now, I mean, somebody's happiness, how do you quantify that? These are the sort of challenges that, that managers, particularly managers that have to manage staff remotely, it's a tough thing. It's not something that they would be useful. Uh, then the, the other bit that I thought was quite nice is, is breaking up the kinds of work we have. And there's a crowd called the RBL group that, that describe it as being four types of work. I'll start with what they call non-essential work, simply because they say, do your best to get rid of it. Uh, the fact that it exists is because, you know, humans are not always that effective, but when you can identify it, get rid of it. Then they talk about uh, the second major part, which is support work, and they put it into two types, essential support work 
effectively will talk about the processes and the communication to make sure that everybody knows what is needed and how things are progressing. So that is still the hygiene factor. And then they call strategic support work. And this is the kind of stuff that's going to advance the effectiveness and the efficiency for the primary work that the business should be focusing on. Now, again, if you had to ask most businesses, what is your primary work? And they call it advantage work, then they might be a little bit stuck because you kind of get you get stuck into the processes and not necessarily the outcomes. And here they describe that as being the function that gives company an edge in the market. So once again, trying to take it out from the theoretical stuff, I wondered if I could apply it to the money show, uh, in which case I would say the discussions about which subjects you're going to cover and the booking of the guests for this evening, including you know the big shapeshifter that's coming up now, that would be strategic support work. While um, what you do with those interviews and, and how people respond to it, that would be the advantage work. Because if you can do a better interview than any of our competitors or better than somebody did in a, in a print or a video edition, we get the advantage. And as, as broadcasters, we need to get more people to listen and the people who do listen to listen for longer and to say, wow, that was great. So now that we have that, we can say, okay, anything else that doesn't relate to those two things, that's not essential work, get rid of it. You writing a daily report to justify why you had that interview on, that would be a waste. Don't do it. Thankfully, uh, I think we don't have to, right? You don't have to do things like that, do you? Oh, well, I, I'm not as far as uh, I then, know, and I hope you haven't planted an idea <laughs> in uh, in the in the enormous bureaucracy's mind that it'd be a jolly good idea to write down a justification and a reason and why you didn't. Oh, that would that that would be a short lived exactly. project. I would advocate because you mentioned it earlier that that rather you are posting content and then uh, re uh, responding to and engaging with people on social media, that would be a much better uh, use of your time. That would be some essential support work. Uh, so there you go. That's that's kind of uh, the, the the measures are, uh, and now it comes down to that kind of approach for the elements that we're gonna we're gonna do it. Because again, even if somebody can be clear about the work that is required, and in that case, say here we're defining what our work is, it still doesn't necessarily say what's your feeling towards that work. Um, and here there was another quite useful little breakdown that somebody gave, uh, referring to things as being jobs, careers, or callings. And most people would say, well, I've got a calling. We love to uh, uh, suggest that that's whatever we go for. Easy enough to understand, a job you do for the money. You do just as much as you need to do to stay out of trouble, you get no pleasure from it. And unfortunately, that's probably all too common, uh, even though we would or should work to make uh, less things that fit into that. A career, it's covering the bills now. You can you can actually start saying, I can, I can live a good life as a consequence of this work that I'm doing. But it also offers the opportunity for you to use your strengths. Using your strengths will give you a sense of pride, sense of accomplishment. You actually start uh, you know, enjoying what you do. And the calling is the, is the top version of it. The catch is calling sometimes completely give you a sense of accomplishment, don't necessarily compensate you, uh, you know, financially to make you uh, live well of what you're doing. So you, you've got to find your mix over there. And then the final one I would say here is a, is a company called Clearbit talks about a zone of genius. Uh, and this they say happens if you if you do anything or for the things that you do that give you energy, this is going to be a strength. So you can note those things now. And then like understand what your talents are. These are the things that you just naturally do. In your case, it would be broadcasting. You don't sit there every day practicing how to talk. You simply do it and you do it well. And then the skills, which is the competencies that can be taught and you've learned and applied over time. So when you can combine those three elements, you're now in your zone of genius. And again, managers should be focusing more on giving that to what they need for their staff rather than all these elements. And a final sort of point to ponder, uh, I would wonder, is, is that the culture that gets created in companies when you do this sort of things determines what sort of outcome you have. And, and it might be that, um, you know, the most senior staff in companies tend to have the view that says, listen, we've got to keep an eye on the staff here because, you know, I, I, my output is being judged by what these guys are up to. But I wonder if they had to say, what, what oversight and what sort of monitoring would they be happy with? 
to justify, you know, their work output and, and how it goes. There certainly are, you know, market results and there's board meetings, etc. that have to be done. But it's not to the same degree that, you know, normal workers would have to get day in and day out. And I'll leave a link to a, a New York Times piece where they write about this and monitor you while you do it. How long are you taking to scroll? How often do you, you, you stop scrolling and go somewhere else before you come back? And it's actually quite eerie. The, the feeling it leaves you with and the comments afterwards certainly uh, very clearly get you a sense that this overbearing sort of monitoring is definitely not the way to go. You might be in office. Uh, you might be uh, working remotely. That isn't settled. But how you apply it, it seems to be the key. Thank you very much. Colin Cullis with Business Unusual. Yeah, there's a lot of resistance in many, many companies to going back to the office. People are sacrificing jobs and careers um, and working elsewhere. So you're losing talent in the process as well because you're being uncompromising and unforgiving. It's harder when you are running a, a plant, of course, if you're running a factory. That stuff, you can't you know, brew beer. For, well, you could do your own at home, but you're not going to brew Castle at home uh, and then get it chipped back to the office uh, for distribution. It's just not feasible to do so. So uh, there are many jobs that simply cannot happen from home. But the office, the future of the office, very much up for discussion. The ability to upscale or downscale your staff with ease gives your business the flexibility needed for success in these volatile times. Take the guesswork out of managing personnel and rely on Workforce Staffing's compliant nationwide staffing solutions. Visit workforcestaffing.co.za and let your business thrive. Workforce Staffing, your preferred staffing partner.